Hey everybody, this is Lance. Welcome to week 36 of Highlights 2020. I had a reader who said, man, it'd be a lot easier to go through your highlights if you put them in audio format. So I am going to do just that. Uh, it's a pretty simple setup where I just read through the same highlights and uh, give the little blurb, just like I always do. But this way, if you want to listen to it on the go, you can have the highlight yourself and you don't have to um, read it. I'll read it for you. So my first section is the small business highlights. And I guess before we get there, the overall theme here was really Ken Hendricks is my hero. You're going to hear a little bit about him. He's a guy who founded ABC, um, oh, ABC Building Supply. So uh, he was just a phenomenal entrepreneur. Him and his wife did a great job. Um, Russianish fables and greatness. Those are the three themes that seem to pop up or the things I wanted to highlight. So without further ado, small business highlights. He starts out, he says, wrong location, move it. Wrong people, replace them. Wrong industry, I don't believe it. I've got a company in the machine tools industry and we're doing great. I'd happily go into the coal business. It's how you look at something and how it's managed that make the difference. Uh, this was a quote from Ken Hendricks in the 2006 Inc. Magazine article. It's titled, Create Jobs, Eliminate Waste, and Preserve Value. Whoa, whoa. So I'm not saying problem avoidance should go out the window, but this flies completely in the face of the Buffett-Munger idea that just avoid those problems. From the limited info I could find, um, Hendricks seemed to have a knack for just smashing through problems. He, he seems like the intelligent fanatic kind of guy who is an outstanding operator and a good capital allocator. So... I don't know what his big secret was, but maybe it's just that he married an amazing business partner. Very helpful for me. Uh, next quote, we say, feedback needs to be immediate. As soon as someone steps off the path or veers into dangerous territory, let them know. Ideally, during the first 90 days, give people an exorbitant amount of feedback, Lop says. This is an article from First Round Capital, the best approach to the worst conversations, essentially talking about firing people. And uh, didn't have anything earth shattering, but was a great reminder to me that, hey, tell people what's going on. Don't don't surprise them. If somebody's surprised when they're um, being asked to separate, then there was a problem with how I managed or one of the managers did it. All right. Our last small business quote. So uh, <laughs> it said, one of the first things you need to recognize is that the fundamental problem in making your prices stick is that you're competing with many people and businesses who are actually going broke. It's always blown my mind to think about industries that drive prices down until no one is making a profit or making a tiny profit. Uh, construction and grocery stores come to mind with this. And I wonder why we feel like profit is a bad thing. Um, why we almost look down on an industry that's high profit. And, and there's some exceptions, you know, but what, why would you want an industry to have extremely low profit? It seems like the best minds would stay away from low profit industry. So it's kind of like taxation. Uh, if you remove, you know, lower profits, it's almost like a tax on businesses. And I don't want, I don't want businesses to have a reason to make less revenue or smart people to have reasons not to start businesses in important sectors. So it's just an interesting thing and uh, made me stop and, think about a lot of industries. All right, our next section, Christian living highlights. 
All right. So these are uh, a couple highlights. There's just two, but they stood out and in, in stark color for me. So I wanted to include them. First one comes from a book called Pleasing People by Lou Priolo. And he says, in the final analysis, the act of flattery is an act of deceit. I bolded that, so I'll say it again. The act of flattery is an act of deceit. It is a lie that many are willing to believe because they excessively long for the approval of others. Oh, this came up for me because sales pros talk a lot about building rapport. And looking at myself, I said, gosh, I can be a bit of a people pleaser. This quote convicted me quite a bit. See, flattery is an act of deceit. So the question that comes up there is, am I being deceptive? Am I telling someone something that's not a genuine compliment, but instead flattering them because I want to move them, I want to manipulate them toward uh, an action that's going to benefit me? All right, the next one's a little bit longer. It's from Romano Guardini, who is, uh, sounds like an Italian last name, actually a German priest. And he has this book, Learning the Virtues. Um, Guardini is a guy who gets hyped up a lot and Honestly, some of the stuff I'd read by him just was tough. It was a slog to get through. This book, Learning the Virtues, has been excellent, excellent, excellent. If you had read Guardini, didn't like him, I would encourage you to give him another shot with Learning the Virtues. It's been very helpful. So the quote, it says, what is greatness? It's not something quantitative, not what we mean when we say the number 100 is greater than the number 10. Rather, it's a manner of thinking and of meeting the world. It means the strictness of man's demands upon himself and the willingness to stand for what is important, a breadth of vision and boldness of decision, a depth of involvement, originality, and creative power. He goes on to say, It is not an easy thing to confront greatness. It can discourage, even paralyze, for the greatness of another makes me feel my own littleness. Goethe said that there is only one defense against great superiority, and that is love. I wonder if this is true. It may not always be possible to love. Perhaps it may be more correct to say that the defense against great superiority consists in truth and reverence which say, He is great. I am not. But it is good that greatness should be, even if it is not in me, but in another. Then there is an open space and envy disappears. <laughs> oh, he is great. I am not. But it is good that greatness should be, even if it is not in me, but in another. Wow. So I realized that I love playing sports, but I'm not crazy about watching them. And it could be a little bit, to do with the fact that these athletes have reached a level of strength, grace, and speed that I will never touch. Uh, it's it's hard to look at that greatness and uh, and accept it and love that greatness and go, wow, God gave them a greatness that he didn't give me. Uh, or he gave them a greatness that they cultivated and I didn't. Um, but I, the hope in this passage is so encouraging. It, it's not an empty kind of love. It's saying, while I can look at it in truth and I can look at it with reverence and say, I'm glad that it should be, even if it's not mine. And my takeaway here was beauty doesn't have to be mine for me to enjoy it.
So our last little section is on fiction highlights. Oh, felt like that was my NPR voice there. And <laughs> I, I ran across one of my favorite fiction books in, in quite a while. And I, I hope I don't just say it because it's recent, but it was Naomi Novik's book called Spinning Silver. It took Rumpelstiltskin, the fable, and retold it in a pretty fun way. Uh, I pulled the highlights from the last third of the book. And I might have pulled more highlights from the end because by the end of it, I knew the cost that the characters paid to make this truth matter to me. You know, I, it took a little while for me to build up and trust the sayings because I needed to see the characters develop and see the cost and and feel the cost that they were paying to learn this truth. So uh, this book, especially at the end, taught me quite a bit. So without further ado, here are a few highlights from them. It starts off, uh, one highlight I liked a lot, it says, but I had not known that I was strong enough to do any of those things until they were over and I had done them. I had to do the work first, not knowing. This was a character who um, had hit situations that uh, she she didn't choose out of nobility. She didn't choose because she liked the idea of it. She chose it because she didn't have much of a choice. So maybe, you know, her only choice was, do I try or do I not try? And while I think it's very helpful to count the cost, I've also realized that sometimes I've just got to try. Most of the time, I blow it. But the winners pay for the losers anyway. So that's a perfect segue into the next idea, the next highlight. He says, he would only shrug and look at me expectantly again, waiting for high magic. Magic that came only when you made some larger version of yourself with words and promises and then stepped inside and somehow grew to fill it. So we've got a character who uh, has overcome challenges in pretty creative ways. She, <laughs> she creates magic uh, and is surprised that she creates the magic and finally gets the trick of it. And the trick of it is trying, um, promising, committing, and using that as a force and function. So it's not about fibbing. It wasn't about biting off more you can chew or bragging. It, it, I thought of it first like the forcing function public commitment can give, but actually it's the forcing function of a deep-rooted decision that kind of all-in burn the ships, um, which you know is, is a dangerous idea. And you know I don't think it always works out. Um, I don't think this idea always looks the way the world thinks it's going to look. In fact, the king steps into a larger version of himself. So we've got a king here who's undoubtedly the strongest single character in the book um, in terms of raw force. But uh, for our last little highlight, the king, he steps into a larger version of himself by taking on a smaller version of himself. Mind blown. All right, so the king at the end has decided that he is ready to marry um, our heroine. But that's not really the way getting married works. So but here's the highlight. She says, if you really wanted to court me, I said, you'd have to do it by my family's laws. And you'd have to marry me the same way. Save your time. He paused and looked at me, and his eyes kindled with light suddenly. He took a step towards me and held out his hand and said urgently, and if so, whatever they are, I will venture them if you will give me hope. 
Oh, will you, I said, and folded my arms, knowing that that would be the end of it, of course. And I wasn't sorry. I wouldn't be. I wouldn't regret any man who wouldn't do that, no matter what else he offered, no matter what else he was or offered me. That much had lived in my heart all my life, a promise between me and my people, that my children would still be Israel no matter where they lived. Even if in some sneaking corner of my mind I might have thought, once or twice, for only a moment, that it would be worth something to have a husband who'd sooner slit his own throat than ever lie to you or cheat you. But not if he didn't value you at least as high as his pride. I wouldn't hold myself that cheap to marry a man who'd love me less than everything else he had, even if what he had was a winter kingdom. Well, folks, that wraps up our highlights for week 36. I, I hope that uh, they gave a little growth and joy in your life, just like they gave in mine. Here's to next week. Ah, and let me know if you like the audio, if you don't like the audio. And uh, I think it was actually more fun doing audio versions of it. Uh, so we'll see if it happens next week. Until then, see you in week 37.